So welcome to another episode of Everything Cool. It's been over a minute. Um, life has been life, and not really, but we are not over to one hundred. We, I glad y'all liked the last iteration when we did the collab episode with the Fanatic Islanders, and more stuff to come. But we on the road to one hundred episodes. Mm-hmm. We almost there. I think this should be episode ninety-seven. I believe, yeah, because last episode was ninety-six. But without further ado, we have a special guest in the building, and I'm about to bring him on. Please introduce yourself, Mom. Yeah, we don't want to do anything to scare your children. That's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to scare anybody. The tourists come over to chill on the beach. But they don't come over the hill where we sleep. We got nightmares and they got fantasies. No sanity, it's just insanity. My mommy hoping nothing happens to me. Please introduce yourself, Mom. Hi, everyone. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with Justin. Mm-hmm. I am, first of all, going to say congrats on so many episodes. Um, yeah. Just chatting with you <laughs> about what it takes to do this, and it's from yeah. passion. And yeah, that's you. really admirable. So congratulations on now your 97th episode. And 97th with Miss... You didn't even say your name. I'm about to. Okay, great. <laughs> um, so yeah, pre- uh, pleasure to be here. And mm. my name is Jasmine Collins. And I've been an educator for over 18 years. So since I was in uh, college, right at the start, I started as a teacher's assistant, and then I got my degree in early childhood education. So our topic of discussion is definitely something that's been on my heart um, since uh, school time. I always wanted to be a therapist. Mm-hmm. I love people. Um, I love the mind. I'm fascinated by how people um, take a difficult decision and recover from it. And yeah, I've had my own journey, as everyone would have, uh, with mental health. So, um, yeah, that's me. And again, happy to be here. Um, this has come up more for me, especially since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So when you messaged, though intimidating, because I've never done this before. Well, listen, you have to just <laughs> jump in wholesale. You can't just hold back. It's like, okay, I have these conversations. All I'm doing is filming. And I always tell everybody... Yeah, you might see the cameras and the lights. I can put up more lights and more cameras if I didn't feel like it. You know, just go crazy. But I try to keep the set minimal. Yeah, this is. But like- after a while, you forget this is on, and you just concentrate on the conversation. So, with all our guests, I always expend, extend to them this pleasure. We have this segment called the Behemoth Word Phrase or Saying of the Day. The Behemoth Word. So. The floor is yours. So I have to pick a term or word. Or that, saying. Or saying. Yeah. Hmm. I guess. Phrase two. Okay. Uh, for me, I, I think it's always funny, the traffic ones that just came up recently on Facebook. 
All right, I will go with one that relates to me growing up as a Bahamian. Congi mm-hmm. Joe. Uh, so apparently uh, that term is now offensive. I, I think it always started off from a, well, it started off from like a derogatory nature and then. So I had to look it up. Yeah. Um, and it basically is a Bahamian of European descent. Which mm-hmm. would be a lot of us, you know, a lot of our names are European mm-hmm. and, you know, colonialism, all that fun stuff that wasn't so fun, um, mm-hmm. but it brought us here. And yeah, so uh, I never grew up being called that. Um, my dad would have experienced. So I always thought it was more of a red Bahamian than a white Bahamian. So I would have gotten more like white girl or, you know, cracker, even the American term. Okay. Um, but never Conky Joe until recently. I, I think more so the older generation uses the Conky Joe term because exactly. it was like, yeah, growing up, I knew what it was, but that's not part of my like modern right. day vernacular. Right. That's like, why my dad would have experienced it because he grew up here um, going to school, primary school, left school in primary school. But um, no, it's it's now uh, now being said it's offensive. Whereas there are a lot of people who say, "No, man, you shouldn't be offended by that. You know, that's your culture." And you know, yeah. I always <laughs> I remember one of my good friends. He was going. He um, was a trainer. He's like he was going to call his brand um, Conky Joe Fitness. There you go. And I was like, okay, like <laughs> right. I mean, whatever works. Yeah, because yeah. it's like. Eh. I'm like, all right. Yeah. But how do you, how, like, I'm glad you brought that up. Like, how, how do you even feel about that term? So, for me, and it being described mm. from my dad, I never saw it as negative. Okay. My dad is super cool and, you know, um, has this amazing charm and love of life and passion. He may have, you know, felt it was a separation or a distinction from being a Bahamian. You know, Mm. maybe I I haven't had a chance to ask him, but I'd love to. So I don't see it as negative. But if other people are saying, you know, I think we're just more aware of words in general. We're more aware of way more things than we have been in the past. Yeah. So I would respect that. And I never used it. Like you say, in our generation, I never would go around and say, oh, Conky Joe, you know, I would say Long Island or in fact, I wouldn't use color to describe anyone. I just didn't grow up that way. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, already when it comes to like you have to identify somebody, but it's like yeah, that's weird to have that as just common conversation. Exactly, there yeah. is a like a slot on a paper, right? You would say what's your yeah. race or whatever. Yeah, just right? for descriptive, like exactly. you know, biological terms. But I, it's like yeah, I get a lot of Caucasian. You're Caucasian, or, right. you know, and even that kind of is like well, I I would offend more to that than even Conky Joe for some reason. Mm. I again, I didn't grow grow up saying that purple person or I would say the lady with the glasses or the lady with the pretty hair. I don't know. It just wasn't that I, first I think that's some more so like um let me phrase this properly. So I think growing up in the Bahamas in the Caribbean, certain dynamics are different, especially it's not really based on the parents but more so class. For sure. So it's like if you are of a certain class, everybody sort of leveled the same mm-hmm. until 
you start to get more information and more nuances about the outside world and then you start to Truth. you know be viewed different when you go into different spaces it's true and i i was recently brought to my attention that some people may be offended by you simply asking where are you from and i was like i i ask it because i'm curious maybe i hear an accent maybe mm. you look um you know of certain Indian phenotypes descent. Yeah, exactly right. right so you know someone said oh well it may be not um easy for someone say example from ukraine you mm. know or those places actually I just was speaking on this like you know you could tell people mm. well how because i am super observant mm. like you could tell people different from different parts or just by like how certain sharp features certain mm. things like that mm. you know the different nuances and things of that nature. And culture. Yeah. So different, right? So for me to say to you, hey, what part of Bahamas are you from? Like, I want to know because I grew up Bahamian too. But to say to somebody, I, I know I said to somebody the other day, oh, do you visit Russia? That's your home. You know, she's like, no, I don't. And I was like, oh, you know, she said, I, I, I haven't been back since a child for whatever reason. Uh. She took, you know, a little bit of offense to it. Mm. Or... Maybe for whatever reason, home isn't as inviting, yeah. you know, um, for her. But it's something I became aware of. <laughs> mm. Because, like, you know, even with the island thing, it's like, all right, you might grow up on an island where a park and it's parky. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, all right. So, with being an educator for almost nearly 20 years, mm-hmm. what, how has mental health, what has it mean to you? during that time for yourself personally? Mm-hmm. And then as you see it, interpret it at, um, when it comes to other people? That's a great question. I, um, like I said, I was into therapy, so I would have actually started off as a psychology major. Mm-hmm. And then I started to have things like anxiety and, you know, just as a teen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized oh boy, I need a therapist. How can I be a therapist? Mm. Which is maybe a normal concern, you know? But does a doctor not have a cold sometimes? You know, like Mm. we all need people to help us out sometimes. So for me, it was intimidating. I also realized that I probably would take home the um, emotions and traumas of other people. Mm. I find myself... To be an empath and I feel what others are feeling, uh, very sensitive and, you know, in tune just with people. Like, I really care genuinely. Mm. So I thought it would be too much, but I find myself through teaching, having to be doctor, therapist, lawyer, um, storyteller, everything to little ones Mm. that, you know, you have more capacity Um, then you realize when it's something you love, when it's something you're passionate about. So it kept coming back up for me. Therapy, psychology, the brain, emotions, trauma, having a class of 25-year-olds looking up at me. I mean, the most I was every day was a psychologist. You have to read the room and you have to figure out, okay, they have the attention span for this or the learning style for this. You know, four years of college prepares you for being a teacher but how do you then reach every child that i don't know if it prepares you for that 
so I ended up going back to Barrow University um, to start my exceptional student and gifted learners master's degree. Mm-hmm. Very intense cohort, weekends, and I completely burned out. So that would have been my first experience with really struggling as a perfectionist, A-type personality. I'm working two jobs to pay for it. And I was like, man, you know, I love doing this, but I can't make it. I just, it's too much. So I had to stop. And I got like halfway through. Um, So that was really a point of mental health is real just as physical health is and it's something to be maintained you never arrive at okay i'm well i'm healthy i'm gonna stay that way you know there are daily steps um and coping skills ways of connecting with others that help you get through these difficult times such as a degree that's commanding everything from you while you're maintaining relationships, while you're working. Um, yeah. So it, it keeps coming up for me. Uh, I'm a survival swim instructor now. So, so you're, you're not teaching anymore? Not in the classroom. Okay. But since the pandemic, I lost my daycare center or had to close it rather. I had uh, babies three months to four years old for five years in... Um, Caves Village. Mm. So it was a great place um, to meet people. We were at ideal location and just expenses. Daycare is not a moneymaker, but we loved it. And again, you don't take uh, four-year-olds on Zoom and try to keep them up, you know, through the pandemic. So we realized time to let it go. Definitely experienced a depression, a loss from you know that business that income that outlet for me I taught ballet there I taught yoga for kids that was my journey into yoga practice and how that helped me a lot with my mental health and sharing that was really um, something I enjoyed so I am survival swim instructor learn to swim coach and I love it and uh, It requires a lot of psychology because the kids are in an environment that isn't quite safe. You're bonding with them. You're a stranger. You're building trust. You know, it's um, it's a lot of psychology involved, just as teaching is. So as. Tell me, like, how I guess within your profession and you personally you saw like view mental health from the beginning to now mm-hmm. how has it changed over the years because you would start teaching let's say in the early 2000s 17 so yeah so so and a lot of been, time has passed mm-hmm. you know just culture has changed yeah since sure. then for sure so tell, tell me your perspective on that all right so <laughs> I guess for me, mental health would have been something that was over there, Mm. right? I would have seen my mom go through bouts of depression, seasonal depression. She went away to school young. She started drinking young. Um, And I think the awareness of mental health being a primary thing and then everything else is secondary, such as drug addiction and alcoholism and sex addiction any addiction gambling anything um there's 
for me now, I would say it's much more personal because I've experienced depression. They say every human will experience at least one bout of depression in their lifetime. But I think that's even more apparent now in younger people because of technology. You think it's just one bout? I would say the average human. You think it's just one? What I'm saying now is I I think it's got to be more. The awareness, right, is different. Technology has brought us closer to what the symptoms are. So for my dad or my mom, it may have looked like um, drinking over a period of a week excessively. Whereas you'd have been like, oh, they're just having a rough day. Drink it off. Hmm. Now it said, wait a minute. You probably were experiencing a depression. Hmm. So I think, again, the awareness now, just as you pointed out, is it's probably more common. Yeah, because I said this, I I can't remember if it was three years ago, Hmm. but I said our phones, this is the greatest like mirror to us because every day we wake up and we look at a reflection of ourselves and reflection of possibly where we may want to be. And it pains us inside that we're not there. And we don't know how to cope with these emotions. Because I don't know if you noticed that this age we're living in, people are horrible communicators. Yeah. Like just small, just small relaying emotions and thoughts and feelings. We can't really do the small things. So when it comes to, when it comes to like, major things is just for sure and i think that's definitely cultural for Mm. us too there's a lot of stigma Mm. and there's a lot of sweeping things under the rug oh you know go to church or you don't have anything to worry about you're 15 your bills are paid you know i have food on your table what are you stressed about this word stress comes up so much more for our generation i think the awareness because of technology, the mirror. I love that you said that. I've never thought of it as a mirror because everything on your phone is there because you put it there. Exactly. Your news feed is you. Your Instagram feed is you. Your stories, that's your life. And the comparisons to others. You're seeing the highlight reels of other people's lives. I take a minute to check out your status and I'm seeing you have a birthday party with all your loved ones and I'm home. Alone. In pajamas, dealing with a heartbreak. And I feel your life is so much more worthy and valuable than mine. Whereas, you know, my mom's generation, they wouldn't have had that access. They would have gone out and said, hey, Justin, I didn't see you this week. What you got up? Oh, I had a birthday, man. It was so good. Let's go get a drink or let's go dancing. Or, you know, it's you had to check in with people mm-hmm. to stay connected. It wasn't as easy as sending an instant gratification message and not hearing back or hearing back. You know, it it's changed a lot. And I think technology is for sure one of the top things. I and you, I mean, you look much younger than I am, but I grew up in an era where... Phones were coming up in teenage, late teens. Yeah, I, I was there. I was there for the Blackberry. Thank goodness. Yeah. You know, that I didn't have that at 14, 13. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned it. I used, like, now that um, I'm sort of a senior in my industry, I get a lot of interns okay. over the last, like, five or six years. And I always ask them, how was it coming up in high school with having Snapchat and Instagram just be at its height? Because I'm like, I can't imagine 
you having all these apps going on at the same time. You having a social life and everybody. Exactly. And they always tell me like, yeah, everybody trying to pretend who they ain't trying to be in mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Like I know a prominent person in politics and, you know, I think the sun was posting like some smoking. You don't know whether it's a vape or whatever it mm. is. And then they're like, well, you can't be posting those things because they're going to look at our family and say, we ain't checking for you or something's wrong. or, And it's like these things are on display. Mm. You know, we are literally sharing the movie of our lives through pictures, through videos. And people have much more access to you without really having access. That's why... Beyond this, nobody knows what's going on in my life. I really, I even looked at myself like this. Yeah, I'm like, I got to start posting more pictures of myself. Because mm-hmm. I never take video of me doing anything. I probably, maybe I'm like at work or yeah. on a production. I'm probably put that in my story. But yeah. like my day-to-day, no one knows. I'm like, I ain't, I'm not about to share this with people mm-hmm. just for some self-gratification to try for to make likes. myself... Mm-hmm. No, or you know, trying to tie myself to my phone too much. Like mm-hmm. I tell people, like sometimes I just feel like cutting my phone off because I don't want to be a part of it. Like that's you know, that's a great awareness. So, do you find that you're more introverted than extroverted, or I think I'm a introverted extrovert. Ambivert is what they call it. Yeah. I would say I am too. Because when I in my mood and I don't want to be bothered, I disappear. But if you put me in a crowd, I light up the whole place. But yeah. it's like. I have to take time to recharge, mm-hmm. you know, go away a little bit, settle down. But then I always say I'm like a a rising sun. Like I might be cold, but when I get hot, it's super, super hot, like supernova. But then, mm-hmm. you know, it's either zero or 100, never like 50 all the time. I love the visuals that yeah. you create, mirror, rising sun. Yeah. Uh, I do feel... When I was in my teens, I would have been very socially driven mm. and I would not have had that awareness of I need to recoup. I need to recharge. I'm like a battery. I need to be plugged in, whether that's taking time for just me or, you know, more intimate spaces rather than the whole big public arena of, you know, mm. club or and I didn't club much, but just an example of mm. what a normal teenager would do. So that's another way mental health played for me is I was always seeking social um stimulation yeah through friends through meeting people through wanting to go out when i was 14 and i had older friends and you know couldn't go but it seemed like something i had to do and um yeah so i find i'm an ambivert like you yeah because no because some people because i used to what made me sort of become a little bit more i guess Build my personality mm-hmm. and a public faces because just the sake for my job required it. You know, being in the film industry mm-hmm. and wanting to advance, I had to become more sort of sociable, mm-hmm. um, understand how to speak with people. But then at the same time, when I was in college, you know, doing psychology classes and anthropology and sociology classes and being a writer and watching how certain people have certain tics and mm-hmm. understanding body language and these things. Okay, I use that to my ability, but then at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to be seen all the time. Mm-hmm. I just want to be talked away and, 
you know, resurface when I want to do it. So, because, you know, I sort of got into, I guess, that was me saving my mental health. Mm-hmm. Like, where, hey, let me, because I learned, like I said, you know, speaking with the various therapists, understanding what boundary it, boundaries are, mm-hmm. you know, being easier on yourself. Um, you know, taking one day at a time and understanding what's too much for you, mm-hmm. knowing when to rest, because mm-hmm. we could get caught up in this whole, I got to hustle, da, da, da. no, like, okay, that could be for a stretch, but then shut it down, yeah. regroup, recharge, come back. We by, idolize by, you know. the rush hour lifestyle. Yeah. We do not take rest seriously. And that's something that definitely contributed to my burnouts with trying to get this degree, that degree, work this job so you could have this car or, you know, whatever it was. Um, I found I was definitely super self-driven, but to a fault at times. So I now, since the pandemic, have really realized the need for rest and to restore your mind and take time for just to clear clear your thoughts drive um meet up with a friend you know whatever it is that clears your mind i i find it's so so important in this life that again highlights being busy getting it done making money wearing the suit and Mm. driving the fast expensive car let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. So, how did you get over your burnout? Hmm. By jumping into something else. <laughs> so, that would have been, yeah, my first burnout would have been college time. And I would have been recently very newly married at mm. that time. And I took some took some time after that to recover. And, you know, I think I had some anxiety meds prescribed. And they would help me sleep. So I always had kind of like this go, go, go mentality to the point where sleep wasn't important for me. I felt sleep when you're dead, they say, right? And I love to dance and I love to be around people. And I'm a night person. I could wake up in the morning and be fine too, but I love the nightlife. And just being up and being in everything, talking with my mom, catching up with my sister, um, you know, at the movies with friends, Pradesha. <laughs> um, and then it came up again. Um, just, it felt so random, but it was stress induced. And I was changing a lot of things in my life. So I was leaving the school that I had been teaching at for nine years to begin the daycare center. That would have been in 2015. Um, had just recently moved into a new place again not so long married just a year year and a half two years and I was extremely stressed starting to lose sleep again and whatever tactics I was using wasn't working and you have those nights where you're looking at the clock and you know it's 3 a.m and then you look again it's 3.05 felt like two hours passed So I ended up uprooting myself and, you know, just leaving my ex-husband at the time. I said something, which, I mean, we say things, but 
I was like, okay, I can't do this. And I left, went and stayed with my mom and continued to struggle with sleep and just had to get to the end of the year. It was like one more, two more weeks. I was like, I got to do this. I can do this. And I felt very creative at the time. So I was writing a lot of poetry and up late nights. Actually, that's I think that's where I first... I was I remember I think I told Shannon this before. Um like I back to the whole I always saw people around. Yeah. It was at when Bradisha's they was at on a miscellaneous tour and they yeah. performed at I think Two Beatty upstairs. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's like one of the first times I actually saw y'all. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. So that's long time. Yeah, that's she's been like doing it 2018. since twenty eighteen. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. They've had like 12, I think. Yeah, because um, I think they had more, like they had a couple tours even before then. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, they've had about 12 um, events and it's amazing. It highlights, you know, local artists and open mic and they talk a lot. I mean, every poem can be thought to be mental health, right? Like if you really think about heartbreak and whatever it is somebody brings up a poem about slavery and how they feel about it how they view it in that audience i got a lot of chance to heal Mm. um so yeah these are some of the ways i would have dealt with what i was feeling was poetry but um i ended up getting divorced in 2015 and it really really devastated me So I ended up disappearing for a year and a half. And I mean disappearing. I let my phone go. I wasn't on social media. No Facebook. I didn't have Instagram at that time. And my friends were reaching out. Um, The daycare center was about to open. I had set up all the furniture. We were getting the business license and setting up the team and I just couldn't face it. I felt like a failure. I was like, I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs. I focused on my career. I was with one person for years and years, 10 years of a high school sweetheart relationship, turn marriage, turn future, turn, I mean, it was just stable. So um, super brokenhearted, not taking care of myself, just my mom, my sister, having to watch me implode. Um, And, you know, it took a lot of time. I didn't get help and I didn't know how, where to start. I felt so ashamed. So I eventually started talking with my ex-husband we started to catch up and just through email so this was like years later this is like a year okay a year and a half and there would have been reaching out you know we would have had to talk right Mm. um but there was no talk of how we could rebuild our friendship right and he would have sent me links to Eckhart Tolle and you know just things that he was finding to help change his perspective he would always say jasmine you just need to change your perspective and i'm like what does that mean it's so frustrating how did you just change your perspective um and i started to read these things and i i felt a little bit more open uh to life again you know i I didn't want to live to put it quite raw i um i was suicidal for sure uh, for a, f- a few months, back to back. Um, 
you know? And I opened up myself to a job, a pet sitting job. And I find that animals are, you know, therapy. It's another level of communicating with mm. something that gives and receives love. So I started taking these jobs. It gave me a little money again. It gave me some contact with people, but not overly so. So you still had the daycare around the same The country. daycare was still going on. Okay. My mom was running it. Yeah, yeah. We, had, we had opened it together and she was handling everything very stressfully. But, you know, she, she did what she could to make sure it continued. And it did. Um, it wasn't doing super well, as you know, when you open a business, yeah, yeah, it takes a while to gain some traction, you right. know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And seeing me suffer was on days motivation to keep going. And then on others, it was a complete chaotic, heartbreaking situation. So that was a self heal situation. And then I could also contribute, you know, seeing things on TV or hearing something my mom said, or again, reaching out to friends who would have shared positive feedback with me. Friends asking, where are you? We want to see you. We love you. There's nothing you can't face. A little job, a little money coming in to inspire me. So I got back out there and healed in a sense. At what point do you like, Stop and consider maybe I need to see like professional help. So the thing mm. is, I have I have a diagnosis and I didn't get it at that time. Mm. That would have been now my second time really breaking down, right? Mm. You could call it a burnout, you could call it a mental break, you could call it there are many things, you know. Um the pandemic hit and we were five years into the daycare i would have been five years divorced and doing really well traveling and having this balance that i never had in life really feeling like life was worth with living i think i went on like six trips in 2019 then the pandemic hit and the financial strain of maintaining the daycare and also renting my living space my mom and i together um not seeing friends, not being active. As you know, we were on right. lockdown. So I tell you. Yeah, that um, brought it up again. And my mom was like, you know, Jazz, this is reminding me of the last time. And I don't want to see you go through that again. My sister, you know, she was like, this just doesn't seem like my sister. You know, it's hard to hear that. But the I won't say the crazy thing. The scary thing about my diagnosis is you don't feel like you need help. And maybe that's with a lot of things, like an alcoholic. I'm fine. I, I've got this under control. You're the one with the problem, you know, or a drug addict or a sex addict. Makes me feel good. So why? Why are you upset about it? You know, get over it. So yes, that would have been the time that I finally sought help in 2020 at the uh desperation of the people that love me uh, my mom my sister you know it getting to a point where you're just not sleeping you're almost delusional because you're missing so much quality hours of restoration you know this the link between sleep and mental health is huge for me 
So I got the diagnosis and my doctor, Dr. Rashida Brown-Clark out of Family Medical Center, she said, Jasmine, it's difficult to diagnose after the fact, but from your symptoms and because your dad has the diagnosis, it does seem like you're in your, you would have had your second episode of bipolar disorder. Mm. So that's when I sought help. <clears throat> so <laughs> let's break this down right here. Mm-hmm. Because um, obviously with the whole mental health conversation has become, you know, we talk about mental health illnesses. Yes. So, you know, you have bipolar disorder, you have ADD, ADHD, mm-hmm. and so on and so on. So yes. On. So, how did you feel like hearing that? <laughs> My mom would have said it to me in 2015 when I was dealing with my divorce she said jazz this i've been doing some research sounds like you may be bipolar and honestly i think that sent me even further into a descent of misery depression and i can't blame it you know she wishes she wouldn't have shared that word with me and you know prior or rather after i would have tuned into shows like snapped on lifetime yeah Everybody that killed their husband or their family member was diagnosed with bipolar. So I was extremely scared to to no end. You know, it was very difficult to accept. But I will say that my dad telling me two years before that, when I was well, this would have been in between episodes for me. Mm. He said, Jazz, I got a diagnosis. I know what it is. I'm bipolar. For me inside, I was like, and I was kind of like, oh no, but I've, I'm well, I'm good, you know? We'll see if it comes up again. Hopefully it doesn't. And it coming up was kind of like, okay, I, you know, I couldn't have asked for this. I didn't do anything to deserve it. It doesn't make me crazy. doesn't make me unworthy or unlovable. And I now need to accept and one day embrace and get help. Let's talk about that. Because I have a very interesting experience when I was younger. I remember I was dating some, well, I guess, yeah, dating. When you were younger, like you're not young. <laughs> yeah, this was like, well, that was, I think I was 20 or 21. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And when people hear bipolar disorder, they think you flip into these manic rages. And you do. There are two different kinds. Bipolar Mm. one, not to interrupt you, bipolar one, bipolar two. One is with psychosis or mania. Um, And I have bipolar one. So that is the, you would consider it the more extreme. Bipolar two They experience highs and lows, which is characteristic of someone going through bipolar episodes. Mm. Um, They probably would experience lack of sleep and creativity. And, you know, then all of a sudden you fall really hard and you're depressed, can't get out of bed, don't want to take a shower, don't want to see anybody. Nothing you loved before brings you joy. So, yeah. Yeah, I did the Bahamian thing, and I was like, 
you you bipolar, <laughs> you got demons, set, right? and mm-hmm. then that just keyed her off. And I was like, okay, I'm never yeah. doing that again. But um, obviously, as time passes and you get more information, it's like you get to understand um, people suffer from chemical imbalances, and not all the time. Chemical imbalances just solely happen in the brain, but through the rest of the body. Yes. And um, how do you feel with, because you use some key terms in the last 30 minutes. You said, you know, you're an empath. You know, you say your diagnosis, you're bipolar. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like people take on these terms and just use them frivolously? Oh, yes. So I'll give you an example uh. with... Bipolar, people not understanding. Since I had a group mental health support meeting on Thursday, I've heard the word bipolar, not there, but after. Just people talking to a dog or talking about the weather. They're like, oh, you bipolar. Oh, this weather's so bipolar. They do, and they don't. And again, the word crazy. I hear, and I try to use it less, but it's just something culturally that we use, and we don't even think of the sensitivity or who it might impact by saying, you know, oh, you're crazy. Oh, you got bipolar. That means you're crazy, crazy. Like you on a different level, crazy, you know? So yes, I, I think it's just ignorance. I'll put it down to ignorance and lack of knowledge about a topic. Or maybe you don't ever uh, come in contact with a family member or a friend who shared this with you to help develop your compassion or empathy for such a case as some diagnosis, some condition. Because um, because I feel like the whole mental health conversation has gone in the phases. First, it was destigmatizing mental health. Mm-hmm. Then it came, it's okay, everybody is... All right, we're not going to disregard someone saying that they have mental health issues or... They're feeling depressed or anxious or stressed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then they came into okay, we all accept it and we say go to therapy. And that's my one of my favorite catchphrases. Go to therapy. You going through this? Go to therapy. Like Harrison told me this back in 2020. If your Harrison, dog died, Harrison helps. Yeah. That's if awesome. your dog died and you feel a way about it, mm-hmm. go seek help. As small as it may be. Just go see help because... I I love that a man told you that. And that's what I'll say is I am extremely in awe and admire you as a young Bahamian man Mm. talking about topics that other people fear to discuss. You know, Mm. whether for backlash. People have asked me, are you prepared for the backlash of talking about this or for people judging you for... You know, maybe something you did in the past or something in the future. And they say, oh, that's because she's bipolar. And she said that. And, you know, I, I'm afraid. I, I don't want to be her friend or I don't want to date her, etc. You know, I ended up going through a period of dating hmm. as somebody who recognizes and embraces. Well, I was going to ask you about it. Like, how do, how do you deal with it? And how does yeah. your partner like deal with that? Yeah. So I... Um, First off, dating with it, I, I said, I'm going to own this, whether I fully accept it. I need you to know as a person who's going to be in my life, this could happen. 
and I could completely change in mood, right? Because it's a mood disorder. And one day I could, you know, um, be super depressed and you may not recognize who I am. And I found, Justin, that people were so, I would say, willing to meet me where I was at Mm -hmm. and to listen to how they could possibly be there for me in those times. And I can't say that they would have seen it through because I didn't stay with any of them. But I definitely dated someone who was like, you need to come off them pills. And he didn't even know me for long enough to see how they were benefiting. So I am on medication, Mm. which is a mood stabilizer and anti-psychotic. Still getting used to saying that term. It's difficult for me Mm. um, because that's when people really do fear, you know, the unknown. There will be only a... uh, few amount of people who would have experienced the psychotic version right the ability to go there right and i i can't really say i remember i can say i remember feeling super exhausted and probably paranoid about things not seeing things you know it wasn't like that it was more like oh no you know somebody's listening on my phone or they don't want me to but that wouldn't be like schizophrenia Well, there's a difference, and I'm glad you asked that. Schizophrenia is like hearing voices. I wasn't Mm. hearing anything. It was more like, I don't really know what I'm about to say. I don't want Justin to hear this detail. He might be listening on my phone. It it was like this paranoia, Mm. you know, um, of feeling you may hurt somebody. And I, my mom was like, oh, you shouldn't drive right now, right? You haven't slept in days. I was like, did I hurt somebody? You know, did I knock someone down? It's like this extreme guilt feeling and that's just a period of time right Mm. so yeah back to dating i was like you know how could you tell me not to be on these pills i take this pill once a day and it helps me it balances me and he's like when i first told him he's like oh you have it bad bad because you on medication again this is lack of knowledge Mm. you know i wouldn't even i don't even blame that person it just wasn't the situation for me i had come so far in that journey of accepting and at that time embracing what um, my diagnosis is not even leading with the fact that I am bipolar but this is something I deal with so you asked me about me dealing with it now and my partner so I have a huge support system in my friends in my family and now my boyfriend and it was something that straight up right up front I said to him you know I need you to know that this is what I deal with and I you're meeting me at a time where I have it under control you know you're meeting me at a time where I'm getting help I don't know if there will be a day where I will relapse and you need to know that it's difficult there is potential admittance to hospital sandalins you know i've never been admitted but you know a lot of people who go through this have have been um so you know he listened and he was like you know i love you care for you and i'm here to weather any storm that's basically his response to most challenging situations and for me it was a way of saying you know I I can't change this, right? This is something I have to accept about myself, but I thought it would turn him off and I kind of was prepared for him to walk away 
or to say, I can't deal with this, you know? How do you feel about... Are you trying to frame it? That's good. That's fine. So, you know, as men, mm-hmm. it's sort of like this underlying fear that, you know, at any point, the woman you with can flip. And mm-hmm. it's just, oh, women just do this. Mm-hmm. Oh, women just do that. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Maybe not in this particular situation. Mm-hmm. But maybe it may be a lot of men that may feel that if a woman says she's bipolar, mm-hmm. that's just women being women. That's or, interesting mm-hmm. that you say that. I've yeah. never heard it put up like that. Um, but I'll say that more women are diagnosed than men with bipolar. Yeah. But that doesn't mean... They aren't just equal amounts or even or more. Or more. Yeah. Because men are more reluctant than women to get help. And I will say the opposite of what you said. It's more acceptable mm. for a man to flip out in mm-hmm. anger, yes. right? Yeah. Or to be aggressive or to fight someone or to or, shoot someone. Or they might just say he just hot-headed. Exactly. So, you know, right. Yeah. So I, I would find on my end as a woman mm. in 2023, viewing and looking around, men carry knives growing up to protect themselves, Right. I might have a blade somewhere. I'm telling you, right? (laughs) And I'm fascinated by this topic because every Bahamian man that I come in contact with said they would have carried a knife. Yeah, I probably need to go get a new one. (laughs) So it's so interesting to me, you know, even to the point where I have, you know, one of his nephews were in my car and he's like, oh, you need to protect yourself. He saw my little um, flip knife, you know, and it's folded. It's, you know, everything. I have it right there in my car. You need to protect yourself. Hey. And I was like, wow, he's seven. Yeah, I mean, because it when it comes to that, um, well, male aggression is more respected. Because uh, that's respected is yeah, the word. Yeah. <laughs> that's powerful. Because it's like when it comes to relationship dynamics, it's between men, any violation can result in violence. So it's like, okay, if you bipolar or not, it's like, okay, how severe you take it? Did you kill somebody? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, you're just crazy. What if every time we out and about and you mm-hmm. get a little bit of drinks in your system and you're about to set it off, all right, we need it. Yo, he always, always, yeah. whatever, whatever. That's just Keep him. Keep it home. Yeah, yeah. So it's never no analysis unless it's more so not the height of the aggression, but more so... You sort of, I guess, reserve within yourself, quiet, you unseen, you don't look right, you're getting small, yeah. you know, you're not upkeeping your appearance, yeah. like things like that. So it's not. You can't hold down a job. Yeah. It's also um, characteristic for people who are bipolar to have a lot of broken relationships. Mm. So they would obviously move on from partner to partner always maybe seeming to need to have a woman by their side or a man by Mm. their side that can't survive without maybe many children. Sexual promiscuity is one of the um, symptoms. So yes, and you know, back to the men topic, it's interesting because men are respected for being protectors. And so there's this excuse that if I go and fight this guy in the club for my girl, I'm a hero. I'm a protector, you know, and 
it, it's more, like you said, it's it's more difficult maybe to pick out the signs of a mental health condition unless it's over a long period of time. And for my dad, it would have been in his late 50s mm. before he was diagnosed. Yeah, because at one point, you know, you have this factor of just disregarding it. Yeah. So where it's like, okay, well... And I think that's how we do most different mental health issues where, mm -hmm. you know, um, I can say probably for me, some people might, well, this wouldn't mean mental, but they'd be like, okay, I'm high spirited or in a workplace. I'm like drill sergeant. Okay. So if you see me yelling at someone, I guess I'm like, oh, that's just just to be Passionate. Yeah. That's passionate or this, that, and that. And mm -hmm. we are approach. It's like that for so many situations. It's like, hold on, let me sit down and see. And oftentimes people sort of, I guess, telling themselves with pattern of behaviors. That's exactly So it. if I'm watching you self-destruct, 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 I'm like, oh, look, this person ain't crazy. What's really going on? That's true. And again, you're right. Some people just get labeled as hot-headed. My dad would have been that hot-headed, aggressive, and passionate. Hmm. So. Fire sign. So he gets away with it. Oh, <laughs> that's yeah. another thing. Exactly. Oh, people blaming, blaming. Oh, <laughs> I'm like this because yeah. how my stars align when oh, I yeah. was born. It's science, Justin. I mean, I feel like <laughs> science has something to do that, yeah, but man. you can't blame. No, no, no. no. I'm this way for 50 years of my life yeah. because I'm a Leo. No, you're no. a sucky person. That's that's all <laughs> exactly. it is. Like, Fix you know, it. Yeah. Oh, you don't want the self-development. Yeah. But um, what really inspired me to continuously have mental health discussions, because like you know, what me and you spoke on the phone is, I've had friends that self transition, and you know those situations have home to me because the conversation, what I've done with my life and career thus far as the conversations with I was talking to them then, mm -hmm. and like you know. Me coming full circuit with a lot of these things is just like, oh, I remember when I was talking to about doing X, Y, and Z with this person, and they was like, yo, go for this. I see the light in you, X, mm -hmm. Y, and Z. But, you know, um, unfortunately, they didn't see it in themselves, and, you know, whatever happened, happened. And obviously, as the person that's still here, you try to think about what you're going to do better, or this and that but it's you know when you say self-transition hmm. what do you mean they took their own lives yeah i um you know suicide rates are definitely um heightening or rising yeah. since the right. pandemic and again i don't know whether it's technology that makes us more aware or a just a honing in on mental health mm -hmm. especially i would say one that broke my heart and everyone breaks your heart but the dj from the ellen show mm. young black guy i mean uh american guy mm. so much talent and he was the joy of the show and you know ellen adored him he had just celebrated his anniversary with his wife a few days prior the post is there on his page you know and again that's a snapshot but this is a human who had the creative outlet of being a dj mm -hmm. being a public figure talking about so many topics that were passionate that he was passionate about 
two young kids, a wife. I mean, seemingly no money problems. They looked into that, they said, and he chose to take his own life. And I think it was a few days before Christmas. They say the holidays can be a really challenging time for anyone. Mm -hmm. But this is not someone who was obviously suffering. Even his family who knew him didn't expect this. We tend to hide a lot of people from the people we love. Like, a conversation um, me, Archie, and Gabe had on two of the cartoons was when Jason David Frank passed self-transition. Like, Mm -hmm. So people was like, well, you taught me from the Power Rangers, but I'm like, if you really think about it, he, every day he wakes up, he is this fictional character. Mm-hmm. And everybody loves him because of this fictional character. Mm-hmm. But you don't think, you don't have thoughts about, if I wasn't this person, Tommy Oliver, would they still love me? Who am I? Mm-hmm. Like, like the you know. drummer from, there's a famous drummer, is it Blink? Not Blink 182. I don't want to miss quote. Who's the drummer that? Was it from Linkin Park? Um, in Lincoln Park. No, I was he the drummer? No, it was I forget what his name. One of them. Yeah. Unfortunately, One of the I group don't. Members. Yeah. But his family again were like he was joyful. He was laughing. Like we did not see this coming, you know? And I don't think I've ever been able to hide what I'm going through. Now, people at work, you know, you leave what you're going through at home and you come to work. But I find more businesses lately are taking a different, you know, no, what are you, let's work on this, you know, as your supervisor, as your head of department, what can I help you with? You know, can I connect you with so-and-so at least from what I'm hearing? And that's worldwide. That's not just local. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a friend in Amsterdam and she was struggling with the workload and just life and they gave her half days and they're like, you know, take some time and, you know, we're here if you need us and, uh, insurance covers, etc., and Amsterdam healthcare system. I mean, world worlds apart from what we're going through here, but it's sure. it's it's um, inspiring to know that you know these things again are being talked about and highlighted. And I want to touch and just say that your word self transition mm-hmm. that seems so much more positive, or you know, and maybe everybody wouldn't feel that way. Yeah, you, you so I've had conversations about like just any suicide, but it's like, eh, yeah, that's like a sort of hard, and you know, just in respect of the, yeah, the person, it's respectful, yeah. and you know, suicide. And they say, you know, if you you've commit suicide, you're going to hell. You know, there's such a, a stigma mm-hmm. attached to that word. Can we use a new word? Can we use a new term? And I I do, if you can like a word that describes such a thing, right? Self-transition seems so respectful. Mm. Because just dealing with mental health myself, it's like you have a monkey on your back. You have, you feel like you have like these hands pushing your shoulders down. Mm, and wow. You're great with your visual references. Yeah, because I, as a thinker, I'm always in my head. So yeah. that's why I could see. I remember Archie Gabe was like, well, you don't know how Jason David Frank felt. I was like, that's true. Mm-hmm. But I could look at his life and say, I'm JDF, but people love me because I'm Tommy. What if I wasn't this? Like Robin Williams. Exactly. Someone who brought so much laughter, joy, love to the world. And 
for what I think he, probably he was may dealing, not even feel the love. I think he was dealing with an illness. Yeah, Parkinson's. Right, but yeah. still. Actually, I have a funny story about that. Well, not no, no funny story, but interesting story. I remember when I first went to therapy in college. Mm. I was sitting with my therapist, Miss Ming, Miss Sarah Ming. I don't know if she's still alive right now, but what she said about Robin shocked me. She was like, Robin committed suicide because he had Parkinson's. And if I was him, I would do the same thing too. And I was like, as a therapist, that's what she that's was what, yes. I was like, <laughs> and that, that that shook me for years and years and years and years. But how I looked at it is, you didn't speak to me at that point as a therapist. You speak to me as a yes. regular person, and and you know, and what? that's just a regular response. That's respected. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I've had those scenarios with, with my doctor as well, you know, just concerning uh, pregnancy and being bipolar because, you know, I, well, you won't know, but being pregnant mm. is stressful on the body. And then with the whole postpartum. Postpartum uh, yes. is a definite fear. And I was like, you know, passing it down. If I got it from my dad, what's the likelihood that I will pass it down? Probably high. And she goes, you know, Jasmine, it's five to 10%. And I'm your doctor, and I don't want to choose your life for you. She chose better words than this. But she said, I wouldn't let that stop me. And at that moment, it literally opened up a world I had closed for myself. She said, your particular um, medication can be taken during pregnancy. It's not harmful. And um, just to let you guys know, Seroquel is one of the major uh, medications prescribed for bipolar. And it's a generic brand, catiapine, that's more affordable. So I take a generic brand of the um, Seroquel. And again, that's a mood stabilizer, helps me sleep. And now I found out can um, also take me through the pregnancy and the stresses and help to balance my moods and sleep and continue to help me to deal now that we're on the topic of postpartum Mm -hmm. i don't think i think along with the mental health discussion i think from a woman's perspective that has come up more as to you know because i always um, speak with a lot of different friends like why do a lot of marriages fail like Mm -hmm. you know I, I I work a lot of weddings and I just always mm-hmm. say, like Shane and Reza's like, I hope you all pass that two oh, to five okay. year window because mm-hmm. all you had two to you. five. And a lot of times the relationships devolve, dissolve around the first child. Yes. And maybe due to the woman not understanding what postpartum is and the symptoms of it. And then men just being like, eh. Back to the whole yeah, just you, women. You, you just being a woman. Like, okay, you men not being supportive. You don't know how it feels. I yeah. just had a baby. My body's been under attack. You know, yeah. it's. I would say, and I don't mean to negatively speak about pregnancy. I haven't done it. Mm. It's traumatic. You creating a I human like, being yeah. that you and your husband made, or your partner in whatever way made, and you carry it. And, you know, he gets to stay handsome and, you know, like looking good and your body changes in ways that you can't even imagine. 
they say when you're ready, you're not ready because you can't predict and you can't, you don't know if you're going to be sick. You know, a lot of, uh, like they say, chemical imbalance. There's a lot of hormones. Mm -hmm. There's less sleep to prepare for nights when the baby's there and they need you. They need you. There's a physical response from a woman's body when a baby cries. That is so, I mean, wow, what a topic to discuss. And again, an example of how our bodies are so incredibly intelligent. And, you know, we barely know what they do. I would say 20% of what it does, right? Other than the basic things For that sure. every day we do, right? Use your phone, use the bathroom, go to sleep, eat food. Oh, wow, my body does a lot, you know? And I would say the dynamic, of course, between a wife, husband, up two partners, it changes drastically with the addition of a baby. And you said it's usually... That's like the focal point. Oh, we want to have a baby or, you know, the house is there. We have oh, we our relationship. Or we want to start a family, we but it's like family, but we're not emotionally or mentally ready for it. And, you know, the whole day-to-day process of it. Yes. And I would say there's a lot of pressure on women to quickly recover, right? After a baby, you have a baby, your body just does that. Breastfeed right? Some women are not able to. It's not as easy for them. So breastfeed, recover quickly, get back to work and work as if you don't have a baby and be a mother as if you don't even work. It's, it's an insane amount of pressure. And when my um, good friend said that to me about her twin girls and her feeling the pressure again to work as if she's not a mom and mom is as if she doesn't work, you know, uh, run the household and you know, keep everything together under these times? Like, how? Yeah, I, that's why I always said, like, my court line of work keeps me a lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings. I was like, when I have kids, I don't want to mm-hmm. have to drop everything out and be away from hours and hours because I see like how that can affect the whole household. But then it's like, we... In this system and in this economy where you have to do what you have to do to survive. And, it's and like, they're expensive. Yeah. Children are expensive. A family yeah. is expensive to maintain. So how do you do both? You know, people do make it work. And if you have a good team dynamic and good communication, I think it's more than possible. But that doesn't mean it's easy, you know? Hmm. Wow. So... What after all these years of being an educator, mm-hmm. what made you say finally, Nimi, broadcast my voice mm. and start a podcast to talk about mental health? Yes. So I would say for a while after getting my diagnosis and trying to balance and accept, recover, sleep. Um, heal a bit I was almost silent I felt like a different person and I would be listening to my mom and my sister talk about so many things and my sister's a creative so she has so many passions and I mean like it's this way and it ain't that way so passionate and I always admired that about her but 
we always joke um, that I would be the one interrupting and so much to say and again, so passionate, right? I almost couldn't remember that side of me. And she says, I still interrupt her, but I am back better and stronger than I was before. But I had these years where I stood back from everything, myself even, and observed. And I became a much better listener. And that was so important for my journey of being an educator, of being someone who believes in community and bringing support to people who may not have access to it. So if I think about my dad as a 50, you know, he's now in his 60s, but late 50s, getting a diagnosis and having to have struggled for so many years, how could that have been prevented? He ended up going to jail Fox Hill, to be specific. And he looked across in his glasses from a table and said to me, I got beat up every day. Broke my entire itty bitty big heart, whatever it is. And I, I just was inspired, I guess, to bring more awareness specifically to bipolar, but on a bigger scale, mental health. And that's because, you know, growing up, I had direct family members who I watched struggle with alcoholism, drugs, different relationships, broken relationships. Um, You know, I didn't have my dad as close as I wanted him for many years. And it's obvious now why he couldn't be there. So all that to say, my studies and my family, the amount of support that I've gotten whenever I do share on a small scale really reminded me of my always passion, which was people and especially people who may be a single mom, who may be homeless, I recognize now that mental health affects all of us mm-hmm. and no one is immune, you know? So that really made me feel more apart and more connected with the person who may be on the side of the road, not for lack of love from his family, but just dealing with some form of mental health. And it could be a diagnosis, it could be an addiction, it could be shame, it could be a loss of a job. Him today and me tomorrow. So that has inspired me to talk about it, start the conversation from my perspective. For sure. Because what we like to joke about, um, this is probably somewhat a universal thing. Because initially it used to be, yeah, we live, we are a bunch of function alcoholics mm-hmm. on these islands. But then when you see, I think, I can't remember which island in the Pacific, which had almost similar things to where, like, the people, because they went through so much hardships and things, they just compensate with drinking and being inebriated it's all like the time. It's like a Caribbean thing. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's... 
It's worldwide. It's worldwide, but it's in certain enclaves to where, you know, when you have a lack of resources or yes. past traumas, not yes. even more, traumas more so eugenic. Yeah. To where, like, you know, people just know, okay, when I have these issues, I abuse mm-hmm. these vices mm-hmm. right? versus facing the issues head on and saying, how can I move forward? I do wonder, like, is it easier to just drink? You know, for some, it may. I don't know. I, I never had that inclination. It would always be, you know, oh, no, like, what's going on with me? I got to, you know, figure this out. I need to sleep. I need to take care of myself. But back in those days, mm-hmm. it was so readily accepted and even encouraged. Yeah. Wait, have a drink. Forget her. Like, your, your heart break. You could be fine. There's plenty more fish in the sea. Let's go drink some beers, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's bad. As a person that had a grandparent that mm-hmm. died a, a alcoholic, as well as have friends that are recovered alcoholics, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just better because all you're doing is delaying the inevitable. You're going to have to deal with these thoughts yeah, so not necessarily at some easier. point. Yeah, you're right. So either you deal with it when you can or let it deal with you. It's making it harder, right? It's a yeah. roundabout way. Of dealing with things, it's a secondary effect of something deeper. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's the approach I really took with myself and I encourage other people to eat. Nah, the other thing is, you might, people might know they need help, you know, mm-hmm. but they ain't want to get it for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And in those situations, I find it that when you have relationships with those people for your own sanity... You just have to allow them to go on their own journey. Sometimes that journey has to be without you. So true. Because as hurtful as it is, as hard yeah. as it is, you're right. Because it'll bring you down. Exactly. Trying to help them, you're giving them your last and they take. Yeah. And it's like, you know, a lot of people know that they have issues. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, you know, they don't want to. Like, um, recently I started working on this film, this documentary that's slated to come on next year. Really? Yeah. That's cool. It's going to be on the survivors of Hurricane Dorian. Oh, my goodness. And not to give no teases out, but listening to some of the stories and the trauma behind an event like that, you know, people are aware of mental health, but universally, we haven't, as a community, haven't really, like, be like, we really need to check on them people. It's been five years. So I always say since the pandemic, but yeah. since Dorian, yeah. like this place has been hurting. Yes. You know, I, I talked to somebody the other day and I mean, you should definitely talk to her if she's willing, but she said at one point I was wishing it was a shark and not a body that I was passing. Can you imagine? Yeah. Because it was, you know, stories of shark eating people. So it sounded like a movie. It did. And it's like, But wow. to wish it's a shark, our fear of sharks here, and she's a Bahamian, mm. I, w- I was hoping it was a shark and not a body. Yeah, because that's how many. And back to the disregarding, we acted like that Or a day. body and not a shark. <laughs> One of those. But yeah. They're both powerful. But back to the whole disregarding thing. Yeah. We acted, we still, we act right now, almost like I told someone... Like two months after it happened, we acted like that didn't happen. Yeah. And now, NASA four or five. was full of people. 
and yeah. we just survived. You're right, yeah. survived. It's a powerful word. And we got a drink. Christmas, that happened in September. By December, everybody just was joking around Christmas. Yeah. Hoping for a good 2020 no and then... Uprooted. Pandemic happened and everybody had to sit with them thoughts. That's why yeah. a lot of people, didn't, no one came out the pandemic the same. No. Because you had whatever you yell, whatever life you lived up until that point, you had to sit with for whether it be a month, two months, six months, universally. Some people stayed the same because they just were in denial of where the place they had. Some people got better, a lot of people got worse. Yeah. It really brought, I think, to a head relationship dynamics. A lot of divorces during the a pandemic. A lot of domestic yeah, violence. That too. Uh, we didn't hear about a lot of it, but looting, you know, there was a lot of robberies around that time. Crime was heightened, you mm. know. Um, desperation, right? Like, people just needed to get out and see people, and they were being uh, fined for that. So it really brought to light human connection, the need for that, you know, I... I found and I suffered because I didn't have that. I didn't have the ability to go and see my friends or go out and go for a jog. At certain points, you couldn't go beyond, you know, your backyard. Yeah. So I, um, you're right to say it's really Dorian where this whole trauma aspect came in and trauma is... In all of us, you know, childhood trauma, and apparently we hold it in the body. Yeah, that's why I say a lot of it is eugenic. Yeah. And what I've realized, too, as I've grown older, we don't, we sort of disregard how much we hold in as children, how much we carry that on to adults. So you find yourself hitting your 30s and you still unpacking what happened as a child. You don't even unpack. What happened as a teenager yet? Mm -hmm. And let, let alone the decade that you just came from. So mm -hmm. it's like, not until like you 50 and 60 lived a whole life, you will pop all these things, but your life that over, so you don't even have the opportunity to change it. When it's already taken in your body and created sickness, yeah. right? Stress is the number one killer, we're, we're told. And most, um, you know, cancers... They're saying it's, there's a direct link, obviously, between genes um, and, you know, substance abuse and deeper than that, stress. Yeah, because stress tears on the body. Mm -hmm. That's why, like, wait, when I hear people, as someone who was suffering from burnout himself, the only way to cure that is no two-way vacation can cure that. No. <laughs> the only thing that cured is change of environment. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes that happens where people have to leave wherever they work mm -hmm. or change the scenery. Something has to change. Like you taking a break from it. Yeah. For two weeks? No. Mm -hmm. And because it's, because I found myself at points of burnout, you know, I remember I had worked like 200 plus days straight. What? Without no break or nothing. And it was finally time for me to take vacation. I think it took, was it two weeks? I think it's three weeks. Yeah, probably three weeks off. Because it was a lot of three weeks. It probably took you two weeks to come down from, I mean, goodness. Yeah, so 
I don't know, up to the third day, I was still waking up. Oh, I got to do this for work. Like, you know, I was like, okay. Routine. And it's like. Habit. Not just a habit, the whole, oh, if I don't get this done, like, just Mm -hmm. settle you within yourself and decompress with that and everything Mm -hmm. like that. And then after that whole experience, I was like, whenever I have free time, I'm taking it. I don't care. Like, Mm -hmm. if I have days, I go on. Like, this whole work, 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 like, no. Yeah, and I would say, you know, for me, I was always told by my mom, who's like a guru in her own right, but she said... Wherever you go, there you are. So just as you said, going on a two-week vacation, you could be in Bali. You could be somewhere so relaxing. Or you but about work. you're still there. Yeah. And you're still you. And you brought everything with you. You didn't leave anything just because you got in a plane and packed a bag. You know, there, there's so much baggage, trauma stress you said you have a an active mind you know those things are the things that we work toward um coping with you know and some people choose an alcoholic beverage you know snort some cocaine uh a porn video and others call up a friend set a therapy session or take their meds I'll work out. And the gym and the working out is so, such an amazing outlet. I've danced my, mm. uh, since I was seven, since we moved here to Nassau. But it, it helps me so much. And it's interesting after going through a depression and realizing I don't love anything. This was after the last one. So 2020. I was like, I have to go back to dance. It will help me because I gained a lot of weight from the medication. So that's one thing about the initial meds that I were on, that I was on. And I went back to dance and I was like, I couldn't get joy from it. I couldn't even remember the steps where choreography came so easy to me. And that's basically remembering step after step after step, you know, to a whole dance. I couldn't remember the steps and you know, it's just my body wouldn't move. Depression is physical. It's so physical, you know, and it kept me from being who I wanted to be. And eventually working through it, working through it, it got better and better. Mm. So the gym and, you know, these places that give you an opportunity to socialize a little, but also focus on your wellness. And that's the physical, but there's such a mental release with building yourself taking time and you know that heart rate accelerating and the sweat and everything involved in doing a dance session or um lifting some weights or you know a zumba class or um kickboxing you know these these things are great avenues for mental and physical health so as we wrap up when are we expecting the release uh your podcast so i had initially spoke with our news bahamas that Mm. would have been my initial decision and outreach to share that i've received this diagnosis and they released a beautiful um little clip in the news and i said january however uh 
as you would know, putting this together is not as simple as snapping your fingers. Mm -hmm. And I am so grateful to be in your space to see something that's already set up with mm -hmm. out forgetting that this took hard work and thought and you and have to still the process going <laughs> you have to maintain this this yeah. is not something that you can just leave and show up when you feel like you're doing this you're committed to this and so i'd love to have more conversations with you on maybe doing some joint uh ventures or For you sure. know jumping on your podcast you jumping on mine so the now date after a few maybe fundraising events and um, other things to work toward this being something sustainable, I would like to release it in March because March is World Bipolar Day on March 30th. Also, March is... Women's win. <laughs> ah, is it? I don't even I know. Don't, that I, part. Think, I think it is. <laughs> well, no, that's really cool. was killing that. Oh, you know, oh, how you could talk about this and it's women's win. Yeah. Month. Well, uh, men have a month too. And yeah, we'll definitely it was in highlight. November. Yeah. It was November? I think so, but men don't care about that month. Oh, boy. <laughs> no, you know, you always be like, oh, what about Father's Day? Nobody cares about Father's Day. <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah, so definitely 2024, yeah. and I have a page uh, on Instagram at the dot starfish dot project, and that is the brand for all things, I would say wellness, all things, um, I'd love to create a center in the heart of town where people could come in and get a hot cup of coffee or a hot meal or say, you know what? I'm struggling mentally. Is there a therapist, you know, in the building? A, you know, medication? Is there any way you could help me get my meds? Just a place that keeps a pulse on what's happening locally and can get people the link of what support is available for their need. So, yeah, the podcast, then there's monthly which has just started group support meetings for mental health we had our first one on thursday at 6260 art gallery and this is just a space where you can come and share if you want or listen and you know it was a great start it was small and intimate my mom my sister my boyfriend of course were there we're sitting around i'm like nobody's coming yes and then people knock at the door and they're sharing about having a diagnosis and how they've been dealing with it and who's their doctor and what are you paying for your meds and mm. okay wow you experienced this and I lost babies trying because I you know I was so stressed and on this med and I relapsed there so this is like uh mental health like a exactly that okay. yes yes exactly that it's a it's a support group meeting and it's designed after actually dr david allen mm. has a family group um for people that love someone who's dealing with a diagnosis undiagnosed alcoholism shame he talks about a lot of things um locally and he has them at different places and actually I'd like to get certified as a therapist and he's someone who can help me gain hours of experience. He even runs a course I find at the Renaissance Center, um, which is in Sandyport. So yeah, he has those and has been doing it for years. I also have started and about to complete a free 
um, it's called a first aid in therapy course. Hmm. It's free and it's on Allison courses. Um, you can look that up, Google it, and there's an app and it's such a nice um, training with slides and very interactive and really easy to follow for anybody that wants to get in touch with maybe some of the diagnoses and um, such as bulimia and anorexia and personality disorder and sleep disorders, all of it is there. It's it's a really great thing for people who are focused on mental health or who want to eventually become certified therapists to do. I even was at a symposium at University of the Bahamas on World Mental Health Day, which is October 10th. It was incredible. And that's where I heard about this course. Mm-hmm. Um, they are definitely bringing attention to, again, mental health, men, women. They spoke about suicide prevention. And much to my surprise and delight, how uh, pastors and anyone working in the church, they are now required to uh, get some kind of certification as a therapist or psychologist. You know, in past, we would have heard, oh, just go talk to the pastor. Go talk to pastor. confess your sins and you'll be, <laughs> you'll be good. Or they slap you with the Bible or, you know, they oh, say, pray man. about it. It'll go away. You know, these kind of things are, are what they address. And there was a representative from the Christian council who get a, a bad rep, but he was there and he was present. And he said, you know, oh, what's your representative? This was? Um, I didn't, I don't remember his name, but he was, you know, a honestly a wealth of knowledge and he you know spoke about how yes in past this would have been things you hear but now we're actually working to bring more awareness in the church to the which was the focus of the symposium the human right to mental health mental health is a human right and that's basically you know um, a worldwide mission for everyone to know that you deserve a quality life. And, you know, there's so many avenues and areas of help. And uh, again, suicide present- prevention, we would rather hear your story than attend your funeral, as they say. Boy. Because it could be tough, you know. But... I think having, I think getting new leases on life really helps you put things into perspective. And when you have that great support, because I think that's what a lot of people feel like they lack is the support. Yes. You could do anything. You get past this thing. I remember my good friend, Mr. Ramon Ramsey, he works with Dr. Allen with social services and things like that. And his story, I had him on episode, when it was, I think episode nine. Mm, Early. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where he talked about, you know, doing 20 years in federal prison and all that. I love stories like that. And he told me, I remember when I was going through, I feel like after that moment in 2021, just, you know, um, going through the pandemic and then 2021 is when everything really hit because now it's like. 2020 still has some like rollover from 2019, but yes. 21 freshly, like you built off of last year. 
Which was very little. Yes. Mm-hmm. For so, some. For some people. So, building off of that, and I just was at this those techniques, like, bro, like, you just got to keep on going. Like, it may be bad right now, but you got to think about it like this. The check already signed. It, it just saying get cash yet, bro. And it's like, if I could go through what I go through, and you know my story, you could go through this little rough patch, too. And then all these other things transpired around at that time, too. Um, of course. It's never just one thing. Yeah. You know, one thing I learned is just being easy on myself. And, and so not, yeah. it's so powerful to hear you say that. And you said that in the beginning. And I mean, I guess that's where it shows you've been to therapy and you've done some work because yeah. I've heard, you know, be gentle with yourself. For somebody to say that to you, it's like, what? You know, we're told to be gentle with others and we're told mm-hmm. to, you know, take it easy on them and give them the benefit of the doubt. But however, or how rarely rather, does it turn on us? Mm-hmm. And we give ourselves maybe a lie or, you know, okay, you can't give 150, but maybe your 150 is just getting out of bed. But or you could just say, today I'm going to give zero and just chill and I can give 200 tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, it don't have to be certain certain Because we, we beat up ourselves most of the time. We, yeah, biggest critic. Well, most of the times when we attempt to succeed, we already defeated in our minds. Hmm. So that's why we have to it's control true. our thoughts always and, you know, take it one day at a time because it might be here now, but we get out of it. Just take it one moment at a time. Move this right foot forward first and then left. And then we can see how it goes from there. Yeah. And I I think, you know, talking to people again, the conversation of this is my experience. I was in jail for 20 years and Mm. it seemed like I wouldn't make it every day was hours of staring at a wall. Like how much mental strength and mental freedom, despite your physical circumstances Mm -hmm. to get you through whether it's your family calling whether you made a friend next door whether you are seeking forgiveness for maybe committing some kind of you know um yeah something you know does that mean that you are not worthy of a quality life you know and that's why there's so many wonderful programs for people who've been incarcerated one of my favorite shows was the pitbull um sanctuary basically and they would have um people who had been incarcerated working and taking care of the dogs and again that's a therapy and it was you know these these projects are so amazing in the rehabilitation because can't we all be rehabilitated don't we all deserve that we all deserve a lot and i like that you said for the prisoner situation to say they are worthy of having their whole well-being. Mm-hmm. But overall, we just need to accept that we are worthy, period. Another powerful statement. Like, you know, because sometimes Affirmation. We, we we have this defeated mindset and it's like, no, like you're worthy. Like you deserve everything that you get positively and, you know, negatively. But yeah. if you've been working hard to get this goal, yeah, it ain't happened yet. Or... You second guess, you feel imposter syndrome, all these things. You just work through these emotions, take it again, one day at a time, one step at a time, and you're going to get there. Yeah, 
Yeah, and for me, for someone who contemplated self-transitioning, mm-hmm. um, where I thought life had no meaning for me and that my best days were behind me, I can for tell sure. you. Like- I can tell you, I... I'm living my best days. And had I not stuck around and had the attempts not failed, I would not have been here to see that and to give my cha- myself a chance to forgive mm-hmm. others, maybe where I felt hurt, and also to forgive myself. And it's through facing and living the fear Every day, one step at a time, that made me realize my best days are yet to come. And we have to believe that. However, it's hard to believe it when you're in it, when you're in the thick of it. But to hear you say to me as a friend or even a stranger, we get these moments of insight from, hey, one day I was in prison. The next day I was out and I have a family. I have the, I'm at the height of my career and I love life. And with that, it's been a pleasure having you on. Because we feel like we go on for hours know, right? and hours. And we'll that's like, do we need to do two. a part two. <laughs> a part two is I, I feel like I ain't with, I had a whole list of questions. I we didn't even look at those questions. I was questions. ready for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, yeah. Sometimes I just like to go off with energy yeah, and just no, be I like, all right, that. let's I spin into that. this. This is so natural. Yeah. Yeah. But we're going to get definitely get a part two because I ain't even get started yet. Yeah. Because that last phrase when you said you realize that you have more behind you than what you were seeing at that current moment, I really, really resonated with that. Yeah. Especially with just recently happened mm-hmm. with me getting on the, I'm like, boy, if I had just. You know, just fade in the black. I wouldn't have seen all everything, especially what happened this past year, come to pass. And it's like, you know, certain moments I was waiting my whole life for, and it's like I lived it already. Yeah. And it's just getting started. Yeah. Where you felt like this is the end. But thank you so much, Jasmine, for coming on Everything Cool, <laughs> sharing your story. You know, I feel like I know you, but then I know you through your your sibling. That's pretty cool because, you know, she's super cool. So if you know Shannon and she had all great things to say about you, I actually only recently asked her, so, hey, what's the connection? Because it's kind of strange for Uh, Shannon to, you know, just throw, you know, something like that at me, right? uh, It had to be very specific and intentional. So she was like, oh, I actually, he's a cosplayer. What? That's cool. She said, yeah, he just got highlighted on... Black, um, punk black, punk black for yeah. twenty top cosplayers to watch. Yeah, black watch for cosplayers. Twenty twenty four. Yeah, I still, I still don't know how I made that list. Yeah, but you what? like back to what I was saying. You have to say that you're worthy. You exactly. Know, like, you know exactly. And you know what? Yeah. Other people may not see what goes into it, but they see you shine, and no, they no. will definitely say, you know what? He deserves his, his props. Okay. This is his area, and he's doing it, and I respect that. Yeah, for sure. And then they see. They just be quiet about it. True. Because <laughs> they'll pull me to side at a function and be like, yeah, I like what you're doing. True. But, and you know what? Even seeing it, it's, it's like you could share the struggle of, 
I'm just doing this. It's not like I'm doing it to be recognized. I'm doing it to help with my mental health. Wow. Yeah. Cosplay helps with your mental yeah, health. Yeah, of course. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, going to Momocon and all that stuff, I became a kid again. I relived. That's so cool. I feel like that's yeah. it for Shannon, too. She yeah. was so, she is so creative. She used to read. Like, she would devour books and she would draw. She's self taught. Yeah. She would draw these costumes and characters. And now she's living that. Yeah. That's literally nine year old, maybe even six year old Shannon. But that's. So part cool. two yeah we gotta talk about <laughs> healing that inner child yes. and embracing that inner child yes powerful topic for sure hmm. but we're gonna sign up for now we ain't wanna keep you out too long because i know if y'all gonna listen to our almost two hour podcast but this is a very interesting conversation we gotta revisit but until next time we catch you later.